In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the ages of all ages, amen. Last week, I told you that uh, I don't know very much about the, uh, the end times, um, and that I would limit my uh, comments to um, about things that were very spiritual. Um, today, I want to share with you what I do know about the end. What I do know about Judgment Day, what I, what I do know about the difference between heaven and hell, paradise and Hades, and all of that. So, Jesus tells us, I'm coming again, and I'm coming again soon. What does that, what does that mean? What is, what is this coming, this, this return of the Son of Man mean, or the Son of God? Or what does it mean that Jesus is coming again? Look, I'm a very simple person and I understand things very simply. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you bring truth to, into a conversation, it reveals, like undeniable truth into a conversation, it reveals what is true and what is a lie. When you bring light into a place, it enlightens the place and you can see clearly between what is as it ought to be and what is not as it ought to be. You know, um, uh, we do lots of events and lots of uh, like and so all this stuff and I didn't know anything about hospitality so I learned a few tricks you know if you're in the hospitality industry buy yourself like 20 large black tablecloths you're gonna need them okay find yourself somewhere that has dimmable lighting if there's stuff if there's clutter in the room put it in a corner throw a black tablecloth on it dim the lights no one even sees it anymore it just disappears right but when the event is over and we turn the lights on you can see you can see what you couldn't see there before right I'm sure I'm not sharing anything with you that that you don't that you didn't know before right the, when the light is bright it reveals every little thing that's right and that's wrong and so on right and Jesus is the truth he's not like the truth or he speaks the truth or he behaves in the he is he himself is the embodiment of truth. And so, when he is revealed, all that which is not true will also become drastically obvious. It will become drastically obvious the lies, the lies that our world is full of. These days, sometimes I get astounded. I follow all these different entrepreneurship blogs and whatever, and when I find out how much money these people make, I, I get astounded. These people make all this money for talking. Like, there's absolutely nothing of substance. They don't, they, they, yes, they, they process information and package it and, and, then, and then communicate it in an excellent way. And I think that's, that's fabulous, right? But, uh, but it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's astounding that all of the value in our world today that has put, been put on words, but not just any words, words that please us, words that please our egos, words that, that, that make us happy, words that, of which I am the ultimate authority about whether they are true or not. You see, that's not correct, that's not right. It's not, I am not the ultimate authority. I may think I'm the ultimate authority, right? And this is what we do, like you read a blog post and you like it, so you keep reading. You don't like it, you're like, oh, that's rubbish. And you go and you read something else. What if it's not rubbish? What if it's actually very true? What if it actually is speaking truth that I would much rather 
a void that I don't want to pay attention to. So the end times as I understand it is the inability to escape the ultimate and perfect and absolute truth. This word, even the phrase absolute truth has become a bit of a naughty word in our age, right? Truth has to be relative. You do you and I'll do me. If you just go back, just go back to the classic philosophers. If they would hear you say the word relative truth, they would laugh their heads off. Truth, as was defined in classical philosophy, is what is true at all times to all people in all places. That's what's true. It's not truth if it's not absolute truth. They had no concept. All of classical philosophy had no concept of relative truth. What's true to you and what's true to me. And hey, I'm not making fun of anybody. To each their own. You, you do you. Have your relative truth. But one day, one day, truth who he is in the fullness of his person will be revealed and there will be he will be inescapable and and then naturally all then which is not true all then which is lie will not make sense will fall away no one will believe it anymore because because the truth will be revealed you know you know what's magnificent about the gospel one of the very logical things there's power in the gospel some of it is mysterious and i don't understand it but it's powerful and i've experienced it some of it though i do understand let me share with you one of the things i do understand the gospel of jesus is full of truth he is the only one who is full of grace and truth. And so what's amazing is just anthropologically, like not from a religious perspective, but just as a human being, when you hear something which is true and like everything makes sense, it's very hard. It's very hard to ignore it. And so when Jesus says something like, hey, if you want to take a speck out of your brother's eye, maybe you should take the plank out of your own first. You and I hear that and we're like, that makes a lot of sense. How am I going to hunt for, you know, like a, a speck? How am I going to hunt for a splinter if, if I myself am blindfolded? Maybe I should take the blindfold off first. Now, what does that mean? And how to do that is a different ball of wax. But the truth in that is obvious the truth in that is easy to accept and in fact it's it's unavoidable there's no way that you'll I'll ever be able to convince you no you should go and try to hunt for the splinter in your brother's eye while you're wearing a blindfold I'm not going to be able to convince you of that the truth is inescapable so the coming of the Son of Man is the coming of the fullness of who he, who he is what does he say about himself he says that he is truth he says that he is light he says, St. John says about him that he is love. So imagine all of these things being present and in abundance and inescapable. In the, in the passages about the coming of the Son of Man that Jesus says, he says that, that, that he will come and all the nations shall see him and they shall mourn. Right? Can I tell you the truth? I don't, I don't interpret that and they shall mourn um, necessarily as only the heathens, the pagans. The, you know what? I think I will mourn too. You know why I will mourn? I'll tell you why I will mourn. I confess to you that I have placed my affections in some things which are bound to fall away. I confess I have placed my affections in some things which are not eternal. And when I see those things dissolving before my eyes, 
I will mourn. In as much as I love those things and as much I invested myself in those things, in as much as I will mourn. There's a beautiful passage which can help us to understand this in 1 Corinthians 3. In 1 Corinthians 3, St. Paul is talking about, they had this problem. The whole epistles, epistle to the Corinthians, first epistle to the Corinthians, they asked St. Paul some questions and he's writing back answers to them. So it's like you're hearing one end of the conversation. You know, you've ever been standing next to somebody and they're talking on the phone and you can hear what they're saying, but you can't hear the other side. So we can't hear the questions of the Corinthians. But from St. Paul's answers, we can deduce what their questions were. St. Paul says to them, they had this problem. They had this problem that some people were saying, I'm better than you. Why are you better than me? Because I received the gospel from Peter and he was a disciple of Christ. Well, I received the, the gospel before you did from Apollos when he came to Corinth first. Well, I received the gospel for, and people were fighting over, you know, I'm better than you. Who's better than you? So St. Paul tells them, look, there's no such thing. Who is of Apollos and who is of Cephas means Paul, uh, Peter and who is of Paul? Not, not, nobody nothing and then he tells them this look all of us came to place to build on a foundation that foundation that cornerstone is christ and nobody can build on any other foundation than this so it doesn't matter who built what it matters the foundation that it was built on which is christ but that's not the, the what i wanted to share with you i was just giving you the context then he says this then he says, now anyone who builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer a loss and he himself will be saved Yet, so as through fire. What is St. Paul saying here? He's saying that Christ is the foundation, the cornerstone. And then each one of these different traveling apostles has come and has built on it. And you also are building on it, right? But what are you building with? Are you building with gold? Are you building with silver? Are you building with brick? Are you building with straw? Are you building with hay? What are you building with? And whatever, whatever you're building with, it will be tested by fire, right? And the fire will reveal it. And then he says something which I think is really important. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. So St. Paul, I believe my understanding, my interpretation of this, right, is that St. Paul is not looking at this 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 testing by fire as a, a question of salvation if you read romans carefully you know that saint paul is not talking about salvation here he's talking here about reward he's talking about reward not about salvation he's talking about reward he's talking about the work which you have done in your life was it real or was it smoke and mirrors? If it was real, it will be tested by fire and it will endure and you will receive a reward for it. And in the liturgy, 
The priest says that he will come again and give each one according to his works. And the people cry out and say, according to your mercy, O Lord, and not according to our sins. And some priests and some people in the congregation will beat their chests. Why do they beat their chests? Well, maybe because they're worried that the works that they are doing may or may not receive a reward. That's what would make sense. Okay, well, what, what, work, what work is it that would receive a reward we find that a very simple answer a very simple answer to that in the very beginning of the gospel in the very beginning of the preaching of john the baptist and of jesus when jesus goes out to preach what does he say i'm the messiah believe in me that's not what he says what does he say i'm coming again soon believe in me that's not what he says what does he say he says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and saint john the baptist when he, when he starts preaching, he says, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Quick, while you have a chance, offer works of repentance. For even now the axe is laid to the, to the root of the trees, and whatever tree does not bear fruit will be burned and thrown, cut down and burned and thrown into the fire. Same concept, right? So the work, the work which endures, the work which receives a reward is our repentance. I read something really beautiful. Um, uh, 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 tour guide was touring some tourists through uh, monasteries in Egypt. And somebody asked the tour guide, he asked him, what do these people do? What do these men do or these women do all day long? He said, well, they, some of them, they do work, and some of them this, and some of them that. And, they, and, and, then, and then the person said, yeah, but to what purpose? And he answered a beautiful answer describing the life of a monk, which I honestly think I wish to be the description of my own life, and I don't think it's limited to, to monasticism. He said, they have left all that is in the world. Maybe that's isolated to monasticism. That they may offer God a repentance worthy of the love with which he has loved them. Like every time I find my prayer life kind of dry or my, my devotion to God kind of shallow or I'm going to bed on Saturday night and I know I'm going to snooze my alarm tomorrow morning or whatever it may be, right? I just look at Jesus on the cross. I look at Jesus on the cross and I look at whatever it is I'm struggling with, I'm struggling with to do in devotion to Him. And I tell myself, you know what? You're worth it. You're worth it. If you did this for me, I, I can do this for you. If you did this for me, I can do this for you. I can, I can, I can push myself a little bit. I can, I want, Lord, I want to offer you, Lord, a repentance, a return to you, a return and cleaving on and holding on hand, tooth and nail to you, worthy of the love with which I was loved. Now, this may sound all very somber and doom and gloom to you, but I actually read all of these passages of Jesus' second coming with a lot of hope. I read them actually with a lot of joy. You see, all this other stuff, all of my affections that I'm placing in things which are temporary, which are passing, which are, forgive me, useless and will not endure forever, that's dead weight. That's dead weight. A friend of mine who's like really fit and into fitness and all this was trying to convince me 
to really take my weight seriously and lose weight. So we calculated how much I was overweight. I think I was about 90 pounds overweight at that time. He, he told me, he knows that I like camping and all of this. He told me, John, have you ever been camping and carried a 90 pound pack? And I said, yes. And he said, how'd you feel about that? I said, it's quite heavy. He goes, do you realize that the, from the moment that you go from a lying down position, a supine position to standing up, gravity is pulling down and you know pulling you down 90 more pounds than you really need it's like you're carrying the moment you go from lying down in bed before you've had a chance to wake up before you've had a chance to brush your teeth before you've had a chance to do anything you're carrying a 90 pound pack and you carry it around with you all day long imagine how much lighter you'd be imagine how much easier life would be imagine you could spring out of bed without 90 pounds pulling you down to the ground don't you want to get rid of them? And I was like, yes, I want this. And he motivated, and I found that very motivating. Maybe it was something I could relate to. Maybe he knew me and he could use analogies that, that I could really relate to. You see, but, but it's not just 90 pounds of useless weight that I'm carrying around in my body, right? It's all of these affections. It's all of these things that I love, you know, that are useless that I've bound myself to. Had this, this patient once who um, was not very clear in their mind uh, because of uh, medications, they were on, all this stuff. Anyways, it doesn't matter why. And desperately wanted to escape the hospital. And the nurses kept restraining the patient to the bed and I kept telling them not to do that. And they kept telling me, what if he leaves? And I kept telling them, he's, connect he's got like six drains coming out of his abdomen. He's, he's connected by like an oxygen tube. He's got an IV. He's got, he's, he's like chained to the wall. You know, like there's no way, this, this, this guy would take, him, it would take him an hour to disconnect himself from all the different machines so he could get up and go, right? He's like stuck in a web of like wires and drains and tubes and you know what I mean? Finally got better and went home, thank God. Became like really good friends with him and his family because he was in hospital for so long, poor guy. When I think of this, I think that's, I'm that guy. I'm that guy which is, which is connected by these fine spider webs of affections to this, to that, to money, to power, to what people think of me, to uh, food, to this, to, you know? And I'm connected to all of these things. And, and so I'm so slow to move. Jesus' second coming reveal, will finally reveal that all these things are rubbish. They are useless. They have, they have no importance whatsoever. And they will be done away. They will also be tested by fire and they will not endure. So I, I also understand all of this as a, a liberation, a freedom from, from what? From the oppressive power of the world, from the devil, from... No, from myself, from myself. But the good news is I don't have to wait for Jesus' second coming to be set free from myself. I could, I could start with what Jesus is telling us it means to be a disciple of Jesus, which is to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him. 
as I deny myself, as I deny my pleasures, as I deny my desires, as I deny them, I say, no, John, you, you don't get a second helping of that. No, John, it doesn't matter this and that. No, John, and so on. As I deny myself, as I start to cut these ties that are, that are keeping me bound, that are keeping me bound and not allowing me to fly free. Another beautiful passage about Jesus' second coming is in John 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. He's saying that we don't know what we will look like in the kingdom because we, all we see is the distorted image and likeness of ourselves. We don't have a, a, a really good idea of what the original looked like before it got all marred up, before it got all scarred up, before it got all messed up. It's like if you have a beautiful painting and somebody who doesn't like the painting or doesn't like you or doesn't like something comes with a bunch of charcoal and just rubs a whole bunch of charcoal on it. And, and every now and again, you, you, you try to clean off some of the charcoal. And as you clean it off, you can see more clearly what the image is. But over the years, you forget even what that image really looked like. You just remember that it was really beautiful. That's exactly what we are, a distorted image of Christ. The image is restored in baptism and we won't go too much into that. But the likeness is restored through a life of holiness, the working of the Holy Spirit, and the life of repentance. And this is really critical information here. We, really, we believe in the Orthodox Church that our problem is not that we're on a search for God or like, you know, people come and say, I found God or I found myself. Or, no, what we believe is not that we are missing some critical element, some, some magic ingredient. If I just had it, everything would be perfect. Rather, it's the opposite. I have all of that I need to live in the kingdom of heaven here and now, to live the paradise life here and now, and then some. And I've got all this other stuff, all this other junk in my life, which is obscuring, which is blocking my view, which is not allowing me to see clearly. And so what I really need is to divest myself of the junk. I really need to get rid of the junk. And that's why... That's why the message, the work, the thing for us to do is repentance, a removal of the junk. But you're going to live your life, I'm going to live my life offering, struggling to offer Christ a repentance worthy of the love with which He has loved me. And I'll spend my whole life doing that. And I might get 10%, I might go 10% of the distance or 20% of the distance or 80% of the distance. The great saints... Some of them, when you read their, the stories of their lives, they got to live paradise on earth. They went 100% of the distance. But the good news that I have to share with you, my second point, is that in His second coming, wherever you got to, 10% or 20% or 50% or 70% or 90%, He will do the rest. He will do the rest. Whatever junk was left over in my life that I still had affections to, that I was still holding on to, that was not 
you know, which of these does not belong? You know, that kid's game where they have to look at two pictures and see, you know, which of these does not belong? Oh, there's something here that's not in here, right? Which of these does not belong? When, when the image, the perfect image and likeness of Christ in whom we are made is revealed, that which does not belong will also be revealed and will be done away. So it's good news. It's good news. So I look forward to his second coming. So then, if I look forward to his second coming, then the last few words in the book of Revelation are become my anthem. In the last few verses in the book of Revelation 22:17 says, "And the spirit and the bride say, "Come, and let him who hears say, "Come, and let him who thirsts come, and whoever desires, let him take of the water of the river of life freely." And so my soul says, come, Lord Jesus, yesterday would be too late. Hurry up. Come and set me free from myself, from my ridiculous, useless, forgive me, stupid affections. The word stupid is in the book of Proverbs, by the way. <laughs> not, I'm, not, I'm not inventing things, right? Come, Lord Jesus, set me free. And then we hear, and then we hear my last point, St. Peter telling us in his second epistle, God is not slack concerning his promises. God is not slow. God is coming at the perfect time. Why hasn't he come yet? Why hasn't he come yet to set me free from myself? Because God can see that there's potential for more reward for me. He can see there's potential for more reward for me. So I'm telling him, come, come, come now, come now, come now. And he's saying, work a little harder. Work a little harder so I can reward you a little bit more. So I can reward you a little bit more. St. Peter was telling us, God is not slack concerning his promise. Promises, all of his promises, but specifically his promise to return. But he is long-suffering, waiting for your repentance and mine. So, the summary of all this is Jesus is coming again soon. And, it, and people are going to try to <coughs> scare you with all kinds of really interesting conspiracy th things about Armageddon and this the coming of the second coming and this and all of this stuff, okay? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's good news. It's liberation. It's freedom from the fallenness of our human nature that God never created us for in the first place. But that, but that perfection, that being made perfect, is a work of God and man. He wants to do a synergistic work with us. He wants to work with us. He doesn't want to just do it for us. He wants us to do it with Him. So He's telling you and He's telling me, work. While it is day, work. You can't work at night. While it is day, while, it is, while there's yet time, repent because that's what you get rewarded for. 
So repent, return to Him. Look to the cross, look to Jesus, look to His love for you. Look to all that He has done for you in your life personally and very specifically. Look for what He's done for us like as, as a humanity. Coming and being incarnate and, and enduring all of the afflictions of a poor, orphaned, fatherless boy, of an orphaned mother. Hated, spat upon, crucified. All this for me. And tell yourself, and I tell myself, Lord, I wish to offer you a repentance worthy of the love with which you have loved me. I'll do my best, Lord. I'll do my best to repent, to divest myself of the junk in my life because you're worth it and because you have a reward prepared for me. And Lord, I believe in you that whatever I haven't managed to get rid of in this time, you will get rid of for me in your second coming. All glory be to you, O Lord Jesus Christ, now and ever into the ages of all ages. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.